Hi, I'm Dr. Trish Santos-Smith and welcome to the Pure Animal Podcast. On today's episode, we're talking to Dr. Donna McSweeney about the benefits of PA for pets. Donna McSweeney graduated from the University of Queensland in 2001 with a Bachelor of Veterinary Science. Since 2003, Donna has been working solo as a mixed animal practitioner with a special interest in acupuncture, Chinese and Western herbal medicine, homeopathy, nutrition and mind-body connection. Hi Donna, it's so wonderful to have you with us today. You're welcome, good to be here. And how are you too? So Donna, uh, before we get on to today's topic, I was just wondering if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and how you became interested in becoming a vet and using a holistic approach with, with your patients. Okay, so I, I basically run a mixed practice in southeast Queensland. Um, I was a bit of a late starter in vet. But as far as how I got interested in vet, I think I was born a vet because even in primary school, kids used to bring animals to school. Anything injured, anything lost, they would bring it to school and give it to me and I'd take it home and, and basically look after it out the back without my parents knowing. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think the animal, the relationship with animals was always there. Um, I had a little bit of a diversion. I grew up in an area where girls essentially left school at 15 and got a job. So I was made to leave school at 15, um, went back to do my senior in my 20s and then basically studied human health and moved over into vet because I couldn't, because I did my senior through TAFE, I couldn't get straight into vet science because right. not allowed. Um, so, yeah, and the holistic approach, I guess I got a background in horticulture because one of the many jobs I had prior to vet was parks and gardens. Um <laughs> They used to mow lawns for a living. Um, but, yeah, studying horticulture, always had an interest in herbs, um, used to practice taekwondo and actually <laughs> got severely injured, um, tore the ligaments in my ankle, and my instructor, who was a GP, was also an acupuncturist, and he acupunctured me, and I actually fought the Queensland Championships a week after I tore my ligaments with oh, nothing wow. else but acupuncture. So I was very convinced acupuncture and herbs were an absolute must in any medical practice. Um, I was then introduced to homeopathy when I was studying. Um, I actually had a vet treat my dog who got cancer um, and it pretty much went from there. So now I'm qualified in acupuncture. I've studied homeopathy, herbs, nutrition. Um, I recently, well, recently, about four years ago now, completed an Emmet course. Um, so, yeah, whatever works, I guess. I'll use whatever works. And I'm always interested in trying things and because I get a lot of clients who come to me for an alternative approach, I get to try a lot of things that you wouldn't ordinarily in practice because they decline surgical options or they decline traditional medical options. Um, so it is kind of fun working out new and novel ways to treat things. Yeah, absolutely. And and you mentioned you have your own business. So do these patients get referred to you or do you sort of just get new clients? So how, how do they find out about you? Generally word of mouth. Um, and I think, again, because, you know, I have a different approach that 
a lot of people, if they kind of come and expect a vet to act a certain way and use a certain product, they don't always click with you straight away if you're using alternative medicines. Mm -hmm. Um, But in saying that, a lot of horse people have crossed over when they've found out how easy this is to use. Um, But, yeah, I've had a few vets refer cases to me that they'd had difficulty treating, but in general it's just all word of mouth. Um, So, I mean, there is... There is apparently I am on Google, but the address says I'm permanently closed. Oh. <laughs> it was a – yeah, I'd lived at this house 12 years ago and that's what comes up first on Google, so it tells me I'm permanently closed. So I do get some of my regular clients go, are you not practising anymore? And it's like, well, well, if Google says so, it must be true. <laughs> <laughs> so do you work – are you – your work is based from home or do you travel yeah. to see your clients? Uh, so I'm, I'm a mobile practice. So basically I go out to people's properties and, and yeah, so I cover kind of, I guess, Scenic Rim, Logan and Gold Coast areas. Right. And and that keeps you pretty busy pretty it much. It keeps me very busy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. All right, so let's chat about today's topic, which is PEA, and that stands for palmitoyl ethanol amide. Um, So I'm just going to say that once, and we're just going to refer to it as PEA going forward because it's just easier. Can you explain to us what PEA actually is? Okay, so it is an endogenous compound, so it's actually something that the body produces. Um, it's a fatty acid amide and there's a whole heap of them. So there's essentially, oh God, I have to think of the list now. Uh, so there's an olive oil, ethanol amide. There's a, a basically, um, they're all based on fatty acids. So they're, mm-hmm. they're fully saturated analogs of fatty acids, basically, um, so with PEA in particular, it is found in the body in very, very small amounts. So we're talking picogram amounts, which is 10 to the minus 9. Mm-hmm. Um, now, it does increase in the body in response to inflammation, pain and stress. Uh, so it is an intrinsic medicine that the body tries to produce to cope with whatever's going on. But when you take it orally, we're talking in the milligram amounts, And so we're talking huge doses compared to what would normally occur in the body. In saying that, it is very poorly absorbed because it's a fat. Mm -hmm. Um, So you're still not getting massive amounts. But when you take it orally, it kind of tends to target particular organs too, which basically the the main target is the hypothalamus and pituitary. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, you know, you're getting results. There's... There's not many tissues that don't contain some form of ethanol amide. Okay. Um, I was just doing a little bit of research on it. So does it work within the cannabinoid system or is it sort of works alongside it? Okay. It, it works alongside it. So it works on the cannabinoid system via what they call an entourage effect. Mm-hmm. So what it does when it breaks down, it actually breaks down to anandamide, which directly works on the cannabinoid system. But the PEA itself, other than the cannabinoid system, works on what they call cannabinoid-like receptors. Um, so there's two in particular. It's GPR55 and GPR119, which have different functions. 
Um, but yeah, so it, it's it it's not directly involved in the cannabinoid system, but can actually activate the receptors by the entourage effect. Okay, and then does it have sort of the what what kind of effects does it have? What can it be beneficial for? How long have you got? Uh, no, <laughs> I know it can be a long list. <laughs> Well, look, I guess the, the the main target of the product is what they call PPP or PPAR alpha receptors, and a lot of those are found in the dorsal root ganglia and sensory nerves and central nervous system. Mm-hmm. There's very little that it doesn't affect. So it has an effect on mast cell degranulation. It has an effect basically. So it's it's a, a an antidepressant, an anti or an anxiolytic or an anti anxiety compound. Um, works on arthritis, works on skin, liver, kidney, hair. <laughs> um, as I said there's very little that it doesn't affect. And as I said, with the mechanisms of action, because there's so many different mechanisms of action you get both compound effects with the organs that you're trying to treat, but you're also getting all these other effects as well. Um, So it reduces pain by what they call vanilloid receptors, which are kind of heat nociceptors or pain sensor receptors. Mm -hmm. Um, It it decreases mast cell degranulation, which is one of your major mechanisms for, for, I guess, allergic reactions and inflammation within the body and particularly inflammation in in tissues where you're kind of getting secondary effects of edema, which cause further inflammation and damage, um, particularly in spinal cord damage there. So there's a lot of really interesting studies. I think there's like over 2,000 papers have been written on PEA. Um, Wow. And is is that in animals or, or humans? Humans, there are a few in animals, not as much. I guess they are really on animals because there are studies originally that were were done on rats and mice and guinea pigs and and you know so they're talking very large numbers of of animals per group or per study because I guess if you're using anecdotal evidence in people, you're using kind of case studies and to try and get the numbers to prove what you're trying to prove mm-hmm. is quite hard. In saying that, they did do a study on nearly 2,000 people um, looking at pain receptors in in that and looking at potential side effects, looking at a lot of other things. But, yeah, I think most of the original studies were done on animals, although they're not classed as animal studies because they're done on rats and mice. Right. Um, so millions and millions of little rodents have given their lives in the name of science. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so what happened originally, I was introduced to PEA as a, as a novel pain relief by another vet. And when I kind of looked at it, I looked at the mechanisms of action and thought, well, what else would this be useful for if it affects mast cells and vanilloid receptors and cannabinoid-like receptors? So what else can I actually use this for? And so I came up with all these theories and then when I looked into the research, there's actually research to back all that up. So all the research Mm. has already been done, um, which was great. There's continuing research now, particularly now case studies within animals, so atopic dermatitis and pain, um, uveitis, so eye problems and syringomyelia in Cavalier King Charles. Um, but, yeah, it's, as I said, the research has been around for a really, really, really long time, so I'm just not sure. 
obviously it has become quite a popular product lately. Yes. We've known about this product and its effects for over 20 years um, in in very detailed information. But, uh, yeah, so I love it. <laughs> it seems to have taken a long time. <laughs> Well, they discovered it in the 1950s. Well, they didn't discover it. They, I think they isolated it in 1957. Um, so it has been around for a really long time. And it was used a lot in the 1970s in Europe as a, a adjunct to flu treatment. Okay. So it works fantastically on lung inflammation. And currently, so I think it was a 2020 paper that they actually looked at it as an adjunct for COVID treatment, oh. to decrease the inflammation. So it actually doesn't affect your immunoglobulins. Um, so it's not having a direct immune effect that way, but it's decreasing the cell-mediated immunity. Well, yeah, also, as I said, it's actually decreasing lung inflammation. So I haven't got the study in front of me, the one on COVID, but just Google it and, yeah. yeah. It'll oh, that's up. so interesting. So obviously there's a lot of benefits of PEA, but in so in your practice when you're working, what are the most common conditions that you would reach for PEA? Uh, I guess all pain and arthritis, um, any neurological condition, uh, basically heart disease, Lung issues, so so there's actually studies with asthma and it works, again, in a lot of ways because it has an effect on smooth muscle tissue, um, decreases your cytokines, so so any type of asthma. Um, currently, actually, I just saw a Clydesdale this week with shivers, and shivers is a progressive neuromuscular condition that a lot of large breed horses, so shy horses and warm bloods get, and, and there is no treatment. Um, and so I basically have just started this horse on PEA to see how she goes because um, it was quite severe. It was the first time I've seen her, but it was pretty obvious that there were some serious lesions that the disease had been advanced. Um, <laughs> so there's very little that I don't use it for. Um, with irritable bowel, like, again, there's a, a great deal of studies in irritable bowel, and if you look at the mechanisms, again, with smooth muscle and and cytokines and everything else that's going on. Now, in saying that, the only side effect that really has ever been recorded with PEA is transient diarrhoea. Okay. And sometimes with the bowel issues, you need to be fairly careful because I guess if the dog gets diarrhoea on occasion and you give it the PEA and it gets diarrhoea, the owners freak out a little bit. <laughs> Um, so even though it is beneficial and I have used it in some IBD conditions, um, yeah, I think it's you've just got to be wary of that. And I guess the other thing is is that one of the mechanisms, again, can be to decrease hydrochloric acid production, which would make it great for gastric ulcers. Mm-hmm. But if the animal does have things like pancreatic insufficiency or other digestive issues, I think you need to be just a little bit careful there as well. Um, but other than that, there's not much that I wouldn't use it for. Um, so I guess eye conditions, it's shown, I think there was a study in Norway in the early 2000s on uveitis, um, glaucoma, whether it's as effective as CBD on glaucoma, I, you know, I guess I, I'm not an expert there, but it is cheap and it's legal, so it's a lot easier to prescribe than CBD. So until CBD becomes something that we can readily prescribe, Mm. 
um, yeah, I guess it's much easier to just use a PEA. So there's very little that I wouldn't use it for. Right. And do you use it a lot in um, for skin conditions? Yeah. Well, funny enough, I don't see that many skin conditions at the moment, um, but I do, I do, and I have previously used it in skin. Because I use a lot of other therapies as well, so I do Chinese herbs and homeopathics and and so often we'll kind of get on top of it, but pea is always an adjunct. And you can actually make it up into a cream or buy it from a compounding chemist as a cream. And I've had a lot of my clients have used the creams and had results where they've never had results with anything else. I think using creams on animals is a lot harder because they lick it off. But yeah. in they lick it off, it's actually really good for them. <laughs> <laughs> and and with the cream, is it something that you sort of put all over the body or just like on the on a local area that might be affected? Well, just a local area that would be affected. So yeah, I guess it's it's then that's why I don't use creams a lot in animals because it's not very practical. Yeah. Um, so unless you come up with a gel, so gel tends to be not kind of soaked up by the hair, but the creams do get soaked up in the hair. So unless you've got a hairless area that's affected, mm-hmm. um, but for for individual lesions, you could use the cream. But I think, as I said, using creams in in animals is just a bit difficult because of all the hair. Yeah, yeah. And do you find when you prescribe PA for whatever condition, if, if it might be for for pain, do you notice a difference quite quickly in pain relief? Yes, most of the time. Sometimes it'll take a few weeks to kick in. I think the problem is a lot of my patients, by the time I see them, have been through so many therapies, have had so many drugs that haven't worked and their conditions are quite advanced. And I think what the owner wants is for them to go from lame to not lame overnight. Yeah. And you just gone, you know, when you've got almost ankylosed elbow elbows or or carpus and and so you go and well, look, you know, it may not relieve the lameness completely, but it will make them a lot more comfortable. Generally the first most noticeable thing is that the animal is brighter and happier. Um and I found that I actually took it myself. Um and I found within 24 hours my mental attitude had changed. Right. Um, so this is a hard job. And so when you have a hard day <laughs> and, and within 24 hours, yeah, uh, my chocolate cravings had decreased significantly even even after a hard day. So generally the first notice, noticeable change will be a, a, a lift in mood. Okay. Um, but, yeah, so some animals, as said, it, it can be almost instant that they're comfortable um, sometimes it will take a few weeks to kick in. Right. And with a lift in mood as well, I, I suppose that could be partially because they're feeling less pain. So even though they might still have sh- signs of, you know, lameness and discomfort, you know, if there's a, the reduction in the pain, that will lift the mood as well. Yeah. So, so I guess number one, you've got that decrease in pain, but because it actually has an antidepressant and anti anxiolytic effect, mm-hmm. you've got that aspect as well. So it actually decreases expression of a lot of neurotransmitters that are associated with depression. Um, so you feel happy. <laughs> <laughs> so and do you use that for pain. for behavioural conditions? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, so I guess as said that, that it depends again on the behaviour, 
Um, I mean, I've got a client at the moment whose dog won't stop barking, but the dog's 14 years old and it's been allowed to get away with it for that long. Mm. Um, a little bit of PEA isn't going to help. Yeah. <laughs> but as, as far as anxiety, yeah, incredible change for most animals as well. So, I mean, there'll always be animals that won't respond. And when you're talking anxiety and depression in animals, you've kind of got that owner's effect as well. So, yeah, the dog can be happy but the owner's not, and so it's not going to take long before the owner's behaviour wears off on the dogs. Right. Um, so it would be nice to just give PEA to every, every. client. <laughs> <laughs> the owner and the pet. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the problem here. You take the medicine. <laughs> uh, and, and then for those patients that you get that are um, already on some medication for their condition, so if they're on non-steroidals or something else for the for the skin do you find that after using PEA you can reduce the need for any pharmaceuticals over time depending on so for pain yes absolutely um the one thing that I've never really been game to do is is for my seizure patients to decrease their medication. Right. So normally if I see seizure patients, it's because the medication isn't controlling the seizures at all. And so I'll kind of just use that as an adjunct. But I find once they're on things like Venomav, you just can't reduce the dose right. no matter what you do. But as far as pain, yeah. Um, I guess for a lot of my clients, again, I, it, you know, the alternative medicine does attract a, a particular type. Um, and so some of them actually have a fear of using conventional medicine. But if they are on conventional medicine and it's helping, I have no problem with them staying on conventional medicine. Mm -hmm. um, we can look at reducing the dose afterwards. Um, and again, you know, so long as they understand the risks of the conventional medicine. Yeah. There are no drug interactions, so you can safely use non-steroidals and PEA together. Um, you can safely use steroids and PEA together. There's literally no record of any drug interactions. So I've got a couple of very old horses that are on both the PEA and non-steroidals and they're doing fine. And one particular horse I spoke to the adjustment centre yesterday and she has Cushing's as well. And mm -hmm. so I was trying to convince the owner to use the PEA because there's a lot of indications for treatment for Cushing's. And and um, it was a hard sell, <laughs> but the horse is now shedding the coat. She's running around. The the lady that runs the adjustment centre basically said she was running around and kicking her heels up in the air, so bucking and carrying on yesterday. So so she's obviously doing really well. But, yeah, so some we can take them off if that's what the owners want to do, but if they want to continue that medication and use PEA as well, I'm happy for them to do that. So for vets that are treating patients and are thinking of adding PEA, you said there's there's no problems, uh, there's no drug interactions with anything else so they can do so safely if they want to add PEA? Yep, absolutely. So they looked at, again, from human studies, they looked at drug interactions and they couldn't find any. Um, so I don't, I don't see the issue with maintaining a regimen if they're happy with it. Um, I guess the advantage of PEO over most non-steroidals is it's actually a lot cheaper too. Yeah. Um, so, and safe. Um, but yeah, there's absolutely no reason that they can't be on a non-steroidal and PEA together. And I'm sure some drug company soon will actually bring out a product that contains PEA. Yeah. Because um, at the vet conference this year, uh, some of the 
the kind of exhibitors did actually ask me if there was a market for it. Right. Um, well, you know, probably is. Yeah. It, it almost seems to me that, you know, it's the why wouldn't you use it if it can be beneficial and there's no, no real side effects or drug interactions. Yeah. Um, it's like a no-brainer. And they did actually compare, again, I think, in, in both their rat studies and in human studies, they actually compared the use of non-steroidals with PEA and found no difference in reaction so so that PEA was as effective as a non-steroidal drug. But, again, oh, okay. if people want to stay on the non-steroidals, absolutely fine with that. Or if there's an autoimmune condition and they want to stay on the steroids, absolutely no issue with that. Right. So PEA could easily replace those products, but they don't have to replace them. They can be used in conjunction. Amazing. That's that's really good to know. And as you mentioned before, there's um, no sort of regulatory requirements around products containing PEA, so anyone can sort of get it. Or and and how how do you if someone wanted if a vet wanted to use PEA, how do they go about getting it? Okay, so where there's, uh, not that there's no regulatory requirements, um, well, there's, I guess there's not, but it is still a prescription product. Mm-hmm. So I think there are some over-the-counter products that you can buy now, but most of the products actually still require, if, if they're an over-the-counter, they're an over-the-counter through a naturopath, so you still actually need to have a prescription. Mm-hmm. Um, I buy through a compounding chemist because I use kilos of this stuff. <laughs> Go through um, them. <laughs> and, and so, yeah, basically most vets will purchase through a compounding chemist um, and they come, you can get capsules, you can actually buy the powder, you can get capsules in different sizes. Um, so there's, I guess, many, many, many different compounding chemists around Australia. Um, but that's how I buy mine because I basically buy it three kilos at a time. <laughs> but I do treat a lot of large animals. Right. And I need a teaspoon a day, so I'd go through a bit. Yeah, yeah. And is there um, a minimum age for animals that can have PEA? Well, I, I guess I haven't I haven't seen any. Um, so, and given the fact that PEA is really high in milk, and baby animals are breastfed. <laughs> Um, I would assume no. So there's a few foods that contain really high amounts of PEA naturally mm-hmm. um, and <laughs> milk is one of them. Um, so peanuts is another, soy, uh, lecithin. There's quite a few that the eggs actually contain PEA as well. Um, but, yeah, so I, I would assume, again, not because it is an intrinsic compound. So it's something that's found in the body naturally. Um, obviously ingestion, you know, you've got to wait until a puppy's old enough to actually ingest food. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but again, you're going, well, what conditions are you diagnosing in their innates that they need it? Now in mm-hmm. saying that for a sheep or a, a, a cow that has neurological syndrome, um, I mean, there's a few things that occur in cattle in particular and sheep where the brain doesn't develop properly. I probably wouldn't hesitate to use pee in those animals. Um, but for most things, I guess, with neonates, if there's an issue, you're kind of going to look at why mm-hmm. first. Um, and, yeah, they obviously have to be able to suckle at least. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's there's nothing I'm aware of, but it would be interesting to kind of see if there are any neonatal studies. Um, yeah, not not that I'm aware of at this moment. 
Okay. Do you know specific dosages for animals or does the dosage change according to what condition you're trying to treat? Absolutely. So I guess the the general dosage is 4 to 40 milligrams per kilo. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, in saying that, obviously, horses are on the lower scale. So the bigger the animal, the lower the milligram dosage. Um, For most pain conditions, you're looking around 20 to 30 milligrams per kilo. Mm -hmm. Um, For most neuro conditions, I'd probably sit around there as well. Um, So it does vary. And what happens, and these are amazing studies. So if anyone's interested, essentially just Google pay look at the research Mm -hmm. um, that they actually used it in people for diabetic neuropathy. And what they found is if the people took it for 60 days, if they stopped it at the 60-day mark, 30 days later, they still had no peripheral neuropathy. So there's a potential right. for this to last a lot longer. So it's not always something that has to be given every single day to maintain that level of pain relief. Um, so I guess the problem with most owners is that they don't know when their animal's in pain. Yeah. Like the signs are subtle can be hard to detect. Um, and so I guess it's kind of going, well, you know, if they're unaware of the animal has pain, then they don't really know when to dose it. So it is just easier to dose every day. But if they miss a dose or two, it's no big deal because obviously you've got some residual effect there. Right. And then then do you do that where you sort of get them to have the PEA for a couple of months and then stop and see how they go? Or do you always recommend to just keep it long term, but maybe on a every second day kind of dose? It, It depends on the astuteness of the owner. Um, so again, if, if they're aware and they can detect issues, I mean, obviously with horses and dogs, when we're talking limb issues, we're looking at a lameness. So, cause a lot of people will kind of think that the animal's lame, but it's not in pain or what, no, they're saying, oh, it's limping, but he doesn't seem to be in pain. And it's like <laughs> limping is an indication of pain. Yeah. Um, but, but, yeah, so I guess it depends on the owner. Um, you know, if budget's an issue, then obviously they can do that as well. Um, I mean, I forget to take my PA most days. I have an autoimmune condition, but I'm very inconsistent with meals because being a large animal vet, you just don't get to stop for meals. And yep. it, has, it's, it has no taste, but it has a very cardboard texture. I'd describe it as like eating gluten-free bread. Um, so it's not a pleasant sensation in the mouth if you don't have it with food. Do you do you take uh, it as a uh, is it as a capsule? Or? Uh, I take the powder because I pow- obviously have the powder. So yeah, people can take the capsules. You can give it to your dog as a capsule. Um, but but yes. Yeah, so I guess as I said, it's as far as intermittent dosing, it really just depends um, on the owner and the condition. Um, and then as I said, if the owner's kind of giving it every two to three days and they notice it on the days they don't give it that the animal seems less comfortable, then that would be an indication to give it every mm-hmm. day. Um, so it's really a subjective thing, I guess, there, um, because unless, you know, if it was at the vets every day and we could assess the pain scores, that would be fine, mm-hmm. but it's a bit different once they go home. So for a lot of my chronic cases like that, I'll generally get them to bring the animal in about once a month just so I can recheck and see where they're at. But, yeah, it's... Client dealing with clients as a vet is a very different <laughs> aspect to dealing with the animals. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you just have to do what works for them. You know that you know they're going to yeah. sort of be able to maintain treatment-wise. 
so you said it comes in powder form, can do it in a capsule. Does it come in a, in liquid form as well? I think there are some formulations and I'm not sure on the particular brands, but I think there was one that was brought out as a liquid. Um, and again, I guess with the liquid, you're going, okay, does it have excipients in it? What's the taste? Yeah. Because um, it's all going to come down to compliance. So I just, I find the powder easier because it has no taste. You put it in the animal's food and they just eat it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm almost positive that it does come as a liquid form. Um because there was someone who released a liquid, was it might be a few years ago now as well. Um, I don't keep up with the branded products because yeah. I just want <laughs> compounded chemists. So that's all right. Um, it's just interesting to see that it comes in different in different forms um, for different pets. Different forms might might work better as well. Yeah, because then you also get the people who say their dog won't eat their dinner if it's got anything in it, and mm. this stuff literally has no smell, no taste. Um, but some animals, some dogs in particular, if there's something in their food. The horses I don't have an issue with. Obviously, they just like to eat. Um, And they, you know, it's a teaspoon in whatever amount of food they're getting. It's not a huge amount. Um, But I've had some really good success with laminitis cases in the last week or so as well um, where one lady had gotten me out. I think what happens, people get to the end of their tether and they'll say things like I've tried everything and I'm going, yeah, not everything. Um, and her friend, so I treated her horse. She did exceptionally well. So then her friend rang me in tears and, and within three days the horse was doing better because um, they rang me in tears thinking they're going to have to euthanize the horse. Uh-huh. And it's like, no, we won't go there yet. Um, we'll just try this magic powder. Yes, <laughs> magic powder. <laughs> uh, and now another thing I wanted to touch on is um, the different forms of PA can come in because they can come in um, micronized and ultra micronized. Um, and I was wondering if you could talk to us about the difference and why they come in those different forms. Okay. So the ultra micronized is better absorbed because again, it's fat soluble. So essentially you need your bile acids to break down the fats and so you digest them. But again, it's very poorly digestible. So the ultra micronized, the particles are much smaller. And so they're easier to digest because obviously they've got to be coated in the bile acids to be digested. Um, so I think a lot of the human studies originally looked at the difference between non-micronized, micronized and ultra-micronized, mm-hmm. and they found huge differences in the, the efficacy of the ultra-micronized. So I'd suggest if anyone's going to use PEA, go with the ultra-micronized. Right, Okay. I know you you were talking about all the studies that have been done. Um, is it easier to just for the our listeners just just Google if they're looking for a particular study, or are there any that you sort of recommend? Um, okay. I I have about two hundred on my computer <laughs> that I use to write a paper to talk about this stuff. Um, there's some great studies out there. I guess as I said, you just want it from a reputable source because. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's a lot of things on Google that aren't necessarily true or or science-based or, you know, it's not solid information. Um, so what I'd probably do is look at PubMed, look at one of the recognised sites where you know you're going to get legitimate information um, 
yeah, I guess it's it's funny because it's one of those things, you know, when people say to me, like horse owners, I'll go out and they said, oh, I did my research. And I said, no, you Googled it. <laughs> research happens in the lab. <laughs> So it is a little bit of a pet peeve when people tell me they did their research and it's like, no, 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 no. Um, but yeah, there's there's literally thousands of papers. So I think that you can you can kind of look at the papers that are there unless you want to read everything. Um, but yeah, look at something from from a, a legitimate source. It's like everything, the same with COVID, the same with any veterinary information yeah. or medical information. Um yeah, Google's fun, isn't it? Three worst yeah. words in the English language. Yeah. I Googled it. <laughs> There's certainly a lot out there and a lot that's not correct. So yeah. it can be yeah. a bit, bit dangerous. Well, thank you so much, Donna. It's it, it's just been so insightful to learn more about PEA. Is there anything that we haven't covered that um, you would like to, to share with us? Oh, look, there's so there's so much on this product. Like, there's so much information there. Um, so, I guess yeah. Any anyone who wants some real solid science, I do have a lot of references. Um, I think for a lot of the vets, I have shared that on some some veterinary sites, and obviously mm-hmm. at the vet conference, they had access to the papers as well. Um, but yeah, I, I guess it's it's great. It's safe, um, and it's relatively cheap. So I I would be thinking, why not use it? Yeah. Well, that's great. Well, Donna, thank you so much for being our guest on the Pure Animal podcast. Now, if um, anyone would like to get in touch with you, what would be um, the best way? Okay. <laughs> Good question. Um, it, it depends. I guess for, for animal owners, I, I would insist that they have a consultation. Like I don't talk to anybody on the phone without a proper consultation. For other vets, um, yeah, I guess email is okay. Probably phone's still better because a lot of my emails get lost. Um, and, and yeah, like text messages don't ever ever text message me because i'll never respond um i'm a bit of an old dinosaur um so yeah i guess if vets want to have a chat or want access to the papers and the best Mm -hmm. way is give me a call um yeah for animal owners i I pretty much insist they have a consultation like i won't give information to animal owners if i've never seen their animals i'm happy to talk to my my clients my established clients but yeah, I, there's not a lot of time left for vets at the end of the day. And mm-hmm. so the worst thing, because I do answer my own phone, is to actually be caught on the phone all day long. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, thank you so much again. Uh, and it was great to chat to you. No worries. Good chatting. <laughs> so thanks. This was the Pure Animal Podcast, and I'm Dr. Trish Santos Smith. If you enjoyed our chat with Dr. Donna McSweeney, then please feel free to jump onto iTunes and give us a rating and review. 